What we're going to talk about this morning is uh, recovering from a setback. And one of the things that we will discuss will be that we tend to identify with our discouragement, with our guilt, because we feel guilty. We think that's our identity. And if you saw just the least little bit that you were innocence, where has that innocence gone? It has gone nowhere. It is in your heart. It is you. And so this can be your meditation to remember that you are as guiltless as Lila. You're as sweet. You're as kind. So this morning I thought we would talk about how to recover from a setback. What causes a setback? There's, of course, the unexpected thing that happens. Um, and often this is not understood because we usually think of something that can set us back, something that is going to throw us back into our ego so that we can lose ground. And I was mistaken about something when I first began this church. There's something on those early tapes that is simply a mistake. I see that now. I thought that it was not possible to lose ground. I thought all that would happen is that you would just stay in place uh, and you would just waste time. But I now realize that it is possible to lose ground and that we, in fact, do do this periodically. This isn't something to greatly concern us and it, and it, and it isn't something that you have to ask yourself about over and over again. Have I lost ground and how much ground have I lost? But it is, of course a good thing not to have to constantly be making up the ground that you've gained uh, if, if you can avoid this. Now, one of the things that we don't believe we can avoid, and it's only much, much later that we begin to realize that we can avoid even these things, are these sort of unexpected happenings. They can be quite minor, and you'll begin to realize what a minor occurrence is necessary for you to lose your peace. You will be surprised at this. Don't be discouraged by it. Just notice what little it takes for you to lose the value you place on kindness, on harmony. And, and something throws you off. But what is not generally understood about the unexpected is that it can be something that the ego likes as well as something that the ego thinks is painful. And so if you will notice your life, you will see that an unexpected windfall of money, for example, can throw you off. If you suddenly get money that you didn't expect, this can possibly make you lose your peace just as easily, sometimes more easily, and a sudden loss of money. Uh, I see parents go through uh, very difficult times with the birth of a child. There's no doubt that the death of a child would be extremely difficult for anyone. And if someone could go through that without a little setback, that would be extraordinary indeed. I don't think I've ever seen that happen. 
I'm quite sure that Gail and I could not go through something like that without a setback. But the birth of a child can set you back also. Being fired would unquestionably set you back. Except if you were very much at peace about the whole thing. But a promotion can do the same thing. Now this, I'm not saying this so that to generate a whole new area of fear. <laughs> so that now you have to fear the good things as well as the bad. But the ego exists only in half light. The ego we have made is set up and maintained by mirrors. It's a deception, a sleight of hand, A Course in Miracles calls it. And awareness is a sufficient tool with which to completely dissolve the ego. It is not the only tool that is offered at the dispensable church, but there are some systems that offer nothing but awareness and how to practice awareness. And if you were to do that, you would need do nothing else. It's just that the belief that this could be possible, that simply being aware of what's happening is sufficient. The belief, the disbelief in that is so great that I, I, it would be silly for us to propound only that because most of the people wouldn't believe it and therefore wouldn't try it. That doesn't mean that you can't have awareness as one of the implements and your set of problem-solving tools. Do you like that analogy? <laughs> what shall we make it? <laughs> We've got all these tools. Um, Phillips screwdriver. Now, it is a good thing to cultivate awareness. It's a good thing to value it to take it out every once in a while when nothing else is working and just try it. And so being aware of the sudden windfalls, the sudden excitements, things suddenly going your way, being aware of how your ego uses that is very useful. If you will not overreact, but just say, oh, something very exciting has happened to me. Uh, there is this new recognition. Uh, there are these new friends. There is this important person uh, we've just met. There is uh, whatever it may be. Uh, we, we fell into this wonderful new location. We're getting it for much less than we ought to be able to. You just, you get on the scales and you weigh three pounds less. <laughs> And this is just shocking. <laughs> the temptation would, of course, be to think that you're a body. You see how that works? <laughs> so just being aware of it begins to dissolve the negative effect. Of course, it doesn't make any difference whether something seems to be boring and the same old, same old or whether it seems to be something new, or it seems to be something uh, disastrous. 
All that matters is that you look straight at it, and the ego part of it will begin to fade. It cannot hurt you, and eventually you'll be able to see that simply turning your gaze on anything takes all the harm out of it. But it takes great practice to be able to look at something directly and honestly. Most people think they can do that, and very few people as yet can do that. And so it's a good thing to begin practicing looking at the things that set you off, set your ego off. Look at compliments. We, we, we try for compliments. We dress for compliments. We fix food for compliments. We say little things in our conversation to set up a compliment, to, to pull this out of someone else's mouth. But notice the effect that it has on you and see if this is truly something you wish to continue it's not that you need to be afraid of compliments, but do you really wish to devote your life to trying to get them and to sustain them and to doing the thing that has always brought them in for you? Just look to see if they are truly satisfying. Or are you left with just a thirst for still more compliments? Like some TV program that you watch and you turn it off and you say to yourself, now what am I going to do? That's the feeling. What is there to do now? That's always the aftertaste of the ego. What now? Whereas peace is satisfying and there is no thought of what now. There's just more peace. So the unexpected can cause a setback. What else can cause a setback? As we said before, a day of peace can cause a setback. If you have had a day or two of peace, let me urge you to be especially vigilant on the third day. <laughs> because the tendency is to let down. The ego thinks that letting down or letting back into the ego is a form of rest. There are people who come to this church who come because they have a particular problem and they're hoping that I will say something that will help them with that particular problem. And then there are others who come here who are no longer looking for just a fix of a particular problem, but they've begun to feel the presence of God in some way. They've begun to sense this something else and they wish to begin to take steps in that direction. And for those people, working hard has become a love, or it's beginning to become a love. And some of you know that already. Even as I say these words, you can begin to feel the happiness just with the thought of hard work. <laughs> I also see some faces falling as I say this too. <laughs> this is such an indifferent kind of, uh, of work. We think of effort as, as something that ha is tinged with pain, that has, uh, that has some sort of sour consequence. But to want to get down to work, 
about all this spiritual stuff is a level of learning that you will reach if you haven't reached it already, and many of you have reached it. You want to work, and so you come to this particular place because I will give you things to do, and I will make suggestions, and you will get more suggestions from the books you read, and you'll get still other ideas from your meditation. And so somehow these talks fit in to a program that may not be clearly defined, but yet it's there. A direction now that you have to your life that has nothing to do with fixing this little uh, brush fire and, and sticking your hole in this little dam and all this stuff. And so, as you work hard, you will have the peace of God and then the ego will say, ah, you deserve a little rest. And what that means is fall back into your ego now. And you will get up the next day having felt this lightness, this detachment that comes as the peace of God begins to flow in your heart. It's almost as if you're not quite, it's as if you, you're, you're more light than you are flesh. It's as if you're walking over things that before hurt you so easily. It's almost, it's almost like floating. But it's not floating in a druggy sense. It's floating in a love sense, in a forgiveness sense, in a gentleness sense, in a sweetness sense, in a my God. That, that sense possibly you had during that, that hymn. My God is real the lightness that you begin to feel. And so that will happen, and then the temptation will be to let down a little. But you do not want to let down. You want to redouble your efforts. And if you see you've let down, and of course, if you are now having an unpeaceful day, you have let down a little bit, don't try to figure out in what way. That is to continue in the ego. That's to fall even deeper. To try to figure out your mistake is another mistake. And then, of course, there are the, the holes that we dig for ourselves. This is another thing that causes setbacks. The problems, that the mistakes we keep making over and over. And as you look over your friends, you can see the little shovels that they carry along. <laughs> they carry these little shovels and they dig the same holes. Some of them drag big bulldozers behind them. <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter. And uh, as we said last Sunday, of course, you can see this coming. You see them set themselves up for one more whatever it is. And you can't see it in yourself. Notice this. You don't know how you do this, but it's quite clear how other people do this. This is why, this is one of the many reasons that a holy relationship, as A Course in Miracles speaks of it, this coming together of two people for a single purpose, two friends, two relatives, a married couple, whatever, coming together for a single purpose. This is one of the reasons why that's so effective, is because the other person can see and help you with your mistakes, when you get to the point that you're willing to receive that information, 
And that's a long time coming. <laughs> Never give it until you're read until you're sure the person is ready to receive it. It will only push them further in the wrong direction for you to engender engender a sense of criticism, of their feeling criticized, reprimanded. And so Going home is sort of like, uh, oh, it's like getting to haagen uh during Indian market. <laughs> I told you Dr. Dr. Manny said to use lots of analogies, he said. And some of you, do, uh, Dr. Manny, of course, uh, has uh, the uh, Manny's Ministerial School in New Claude, Texas, That's where I'm. That's where I got my DD, <laughs> Doctor of Dispensability, and um, and Manny was always telling us this. Uh, I wish you could visit it. This is a this is a uh, English half timber made out of cement block. Manny designed it himself, and uh, he, uh, he his slogan is. We turn out only top-of-the-line ministers. <laughs> creme de la creme, he would say. And everybody would say, Oh, Manny, how many languages do you speak? <laughs> Manny would say, I speak in tongues. <laughs> Manny's ministerial school. Serving the panhandle and white sands. <laughs> Now, before someone comes up here after the church, there is no Manny. I'm making <laughs> people think I'm being very unkind of Manny. Anyway, but Manny did say, <laughs> use analogies. All right, so it gets the point across. So here we are. Ah, we want to go to Hagendas, but it's Indian market. Now, what you will eventually do is you'll realize that it actually will take you less time to walk along the sidewalk than it does to go through the booths. This is a very great insight when you realize realize that you don't have to fight all these battles. That to get yourself in the midst of the the booths and all the bargains and so forth is going to delay you. And so you choose to walk around it, you see. The long way around often saves you time. This is why A Course in Miracles says over and over in various ways to deal with the ego indirectly because the ego is not real and if you confront it directly, you are making it real. This is why I've said so often that it is not a helpful concept to think of... um, Choosing your illnesses, choosing your accidents, choosing your disasters. Because although that is on the level of truth a correct concept, it does not operate that way within the world in which these things just seem to happen to us. And so most people take that concept and they torture themselves with it, trying to figure out why did they choose this particular accident, this particular illness. 
And so they get themselves in a guilty sort of uh, fearful state of mind. It's better to simply say, ah, this is merely part of the collective ego. It's ego that's throwing out this confetti of coals and accidents and flat tires and whatever else. Big things and little things. And of course some of it will land on me. I'm, I still believe I'm in the world. So let me handle it with peace rather than trying to figure out what it means. Now, what happens is, of course, you're walking, you, you didn't go around and you're walking through the booths and you keep forgetting that your purpose is a double dip uh, rum raisin. And so you've passed this one booth and you saw this quite lovely squash blossom. You asked how much it was and the guy said $500. And you walked on and you're at the next booth vaguely remembering your purpose when the guy says, I'll give it to you for 300 Of course, you wouldn't, you don't want a squash blossom. You wouldn't wear a squash blossom. But suddenly, this is a deal. And you find yourself wandering back to talk to the guy. This is a setback. <laughs> you are, the ice cream is not closer to your cute little lips when you do this. And this will happen to you. Forgive this in advance. You will have setbacks. The world will call out to you in some way and you will wander back and take still another look at something that you don't want because it's a deal. It's a rarity. Now, as I said before, what happens when we've had a setback is we feel discouraged or perhaps embarrassed, or guilty, but very often discouraged, we have this down feeling, this bad feeling, because we have made a mistake and we know it. And perhaps it's something we thought we were beyond, and we would never do again. Now the first thing you must, you must watch out for is not accepting that emotion, that feeling, as your identity, because that is the major temptation at that stage. A mistake is recognized, there's this sinking feeling, and you take the emotion and you say, that's me, I am the emotion, or I am that which is feeling the emotion. Eventually, eventually you will see you don't have to do anything about emotions. This is a wonderful thing to realize. When you have lost your peace, the ego will have a sensation that will accompany that. It has nothing to do with the loss of peace. It's ego-generated, but we associate a particular sensation, or a variety of them, with the loss of peace. And we think as long as we have this tenseness in our stomach, or whatever it is, that there's something we must do about that. And as long as you think there's something you must do about it, you think you are the thing that's feeling it, and you are stuck right in that spot. When you realize that all you have to do is to continue walking toward God, whether or not you have a tight feeling in your stomach, 
or you have the sensations of depression or whatever it is, all you have to do is do the few simple things that you know to do, then your progress will be much easier and much faster. Don't sit there and try to get rid of some feeling in your gut or some lack of energy or some overall uh, malaise or something that seems to come in the actual form of a sensation. This is not the battlefield that you wish to choose. It is the battlefield that your, that your ego wishes you to choose. So that's step number one. Step number two, if you've had a setback, little one or a big one, is that you go back to the basics. You go back to the few things that you know to do, the few things that are meaningful to you, and you start practicing them. Now, these will vary with each person, but let me just give you a few, few possible basics. Be very careful in how you start your day. This is basic. This is absolutely essential. Set your purpose for the day. See how you wish the day to go. Picture the day. Do not get up from this activity until you have a sense of strength, a sense of resolve, a sense of knowing that your purpose is indeed set. Not a perfect sense, but a sense of strength. How many times have you heard me say that? And how many services have I mentioned this, this single point of starting the day correctly? I mention it because it it will make your day so easy. You see, peace is a substance. And you actually throw this cape of peace around you in the morning. And as you begin walking during the day and you have your setbacks, if you have done this work in the morning, if you've taken the time, if you've gotten up the few minutes earlier, whatever the thing is, then it is so much easier to get back to the peace than it is if you started the day in some ego, worrying, agitated, mental way. I know so many of you are not yet doing this properly, and that's why I keep mentioning it. Take a careful look at how you begin the day. I'm not saying everything has to go right in the world. Now, that, that, that has nothing to do with it. So, on the one hand, you're extremely flexible, if you're living with other people, this doesn't mean they've got to behave during that time. Because they're not going to behave. And there is going to be, always there's going to be something that isn't quite right. I'm talking about your mental environment, not, not the physical surroundings. Of course, you do everything physically that you can to make your time in the morning easy for you, quiet and comfortable. But you insist on no conditions apart from what you've been able to take care of. And if something comes up, your purpose is not to get uh, all upset about this. Secondly, if you've had a setback, be kind to your body. 
Be very, very kind to your body. Have the Maya yogurt instead of the Naja yogurt. Have the, have the blueberry Maya. Yes, I know it will stain your dentures. Take your dentures out. <laughs> it's so soft it won't matter. Be gentle to your body. This is your first thing to attack when you drop back into the ego. The first thing you're going to do, whether you realize it or not, is you're going to be unkind to your body. And so the first step to recovery is, is to be kind to it. Don't ask yourself, how are you being unkind to it? But I can promise you, you begin attacking your body whenever you think you've made a mistake and you've done something wrong. You believe that punishment will make you into a better person. You believe that you can make progress through attack. This is why you scold your children and your friends. Although all you're teaching them is scold. You're not teaching them anything but scold. And if you're doing that with your friends and your children... You're expecting too much of yourself if you think you will fail to do that with your own body. And so, to reverse that, be kind to your body. Be gentle. Give it the rest that it needs. This doesn't mean to overindulge it, because that, of course, stirs your body up, and then your body calls out to you in some uh, unpleasant way. But you, you're kind to it. The third basic is awareness. We talked about that earlier. Just being aware of what you're feeling. Take the predominant emotion that accompanies this setback, whether it's embarrassment or anger or discouragement, and simply watch every time it occurs. Do nothing more than that. If you wish, say to yourself, I'm now feeling a little discouraged. Uh, the anger has come back. I'm thinking of so-and-so, and the anger has come back. That's all. Nothing more than that. Just awareness. Because you are the child of God, your, well, your awareness is a light that heals. You don't realize that yet. Most of you, your awareness comes from the heart of God. It is a great ray from heaven because it comes from your holy mind. And only the holy part of your mind can be direct and aware and look calmly without asking what to do. Just look. You become the Christ in a small measure when you just look with calm, forgiving eyes and say, Oh, I'm depressed again. And keep saying it and describing it to yourself. And don't do anything about it. This is a sufficient tool. And then the last basic. How you end the day. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you were to end the day properly, you would relinquish your ego from no other activity but that. It is a way home. 
And here's how it works. You forgive everything. You let go of everything prior to any time that you rest. So whenever you find yourself resting, whether it's taking a nap, leaning back in a chair, and having uh, having your break at the office, or going to sleep at night, here's the mental activity that will take you so very, very far. You forgive everything that's happened so far that day. You forgive every person. You let go of it. You take each thing and see it as innocent. You let go of your projected excitements about the future. So there are things that you're hoping that will happen. There are indications that some exciting thing is going to happen in your life. And this seems to be the future. You let go of that before your period of rest. I mentioned something quite direct, and I'm not advising this. I'm just giving you an example. Let's say that you work at home, and, uh, and you've gotten tense, and you feel the tenseness in your back. And so you just sit on the edge of your chair, and you lean over, lean completely over toward the uh, ground, and let your hands dangle. And you just feel all these cares flow off of you, fall off of you. Do you get the image You're sitting on the edge of your chair, you're leaning over, your hands are relaxed, your head is down, and you're letting it all roll off of your back now. I'm not advising that you do that. I'm just giving you one of hundreds of ways that a relaxation can occur. But the important thing is that you let go of the world before your period of relaxation. So that at night, especially, you can sleep in the arms of God. And your only purpose is to do that. And so before you go to sleep, you let go of the world, and you let go of the future, and you let go of the mistakes, and you forgive everyone, and you set your purpose for this night's sleep. Most people are highly conflicted about sleeping. They really don't think they ought to be doing that. They don't think they deserve it. They think that there's umpteen problems that still need to be worked on. It is all right for you to take a night's sleep and to rest. And so see that your purpose is to rest and nothing else. It's not to solve problems. It's not to worry about what's coming up. It's not to do anything but to fall back in God's arms. That is a way home. It's every bit as effective as awareness. It's, of course, a form of awareness. To shed it all. So I've mentioned four basics. I said get back to basics, and I've mentioned four of them. The way you start the day, being kind to your body, simple awareness, and the way you end your day. Um, As you know, Gail recently... uh, American industry is so, so enterprising. Uh, Gail, as you know, recently had a baby. And so I guess, of course, her name is registered in the hospital because uh, through the mail, we received a pamphlet from some enterprising uh, business. Uh, and the title of the pamphlet was, They Laughed When I Told Them I Got Rid of My Stretch Marks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, either they laughed or, <laughs> or they, uh, I don't know what they did. I don't think people want to hear about that substitute. <laughs> and they are not going to jump up and down with joy if you tell them that you got rid of your stretch marks. So that's not, what, of course, what you want to read uh, just before you go to bed. Something like that, you see. Uh, your neck can look 18 again. Duty tips from Cosmo, you see. This is not the kind of way you want to end your day. I mean, do you really want a neck that looks 18 while the rest of you looks 45? I mean, <laughs> but we don't even know what we want, you see. Because the article calls for coating it with uh, raw egg and banana. You have no banana. And so how are you going to sleep peacefully knowing that you have no banana and that your neck is not going to look 18 until tomorrow when you go out and get the bananas? Be very careful what you do just before you go to sleep, just as you're very careful about what you do when you wake up. Now, what else? Give a setback. The overall theme is this. You cut back and you cut back until you're left with nothing but God. This is the basic way to solve setbacks and disasters and these things that befall us. And of course this happens to us all the time. And some are quite severe. In our question and answer period uh, last time, uh, someone even asked, what do you do if you are told that you're going to die, that you have a particular illness and you're going to die of it? There's all this kind of uh, information that we get, things happening. And so, of course, we're not at the point where this will not affect us. If you see that you have been affected by it, and you will know that you've been affected by it if you can't let go of it, if it hangs on. And when it hangs on, it is better for you to do something overt than for you to continue only mental efforts. This is a fundamental key in an easy progress, is knowing when to stop the mental efforts and switch to an overt something. So if you have not been able to let go of this, whatever it is, do take some outward action. But do not take, do not fight fear with fear. So, so for example, um, I told you once that a centipede had fallen from the ceiling on Gail's face. Uh, we were in bed, and it fell out of the ceiling and landed on her face. Uh, she thought it was one of those fake scorpions, and she'd brushed it off, and it, uh, it, it, uh, and didn't think, didn't turn on the light to see that it was a, a centipede. So it, it was in the bed with us for an hour or so, and then um, it uh, reached over and pinched my toe, and uh, I woke up, and somehow I knew I, my toe had been pinched by a centipede. It didn't sting it, just said, ooh, cute, cute, cute. <laughs> and I threw back the covers and, and I said, <laughs> I've been pinched by a centipede. And uh, this was back in my uh, pseudo-spiritual days. 
Pseudo is where it's all form. There's no substance. And I was doing things like taking the centipede outside so it could be reunited with its children. Uh, and so, of course, I, 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 ran, I ran in the kitchen to get a proper home for it. Uh, and uh, it, by the time I got back, it was gone. And I've told you that story. I'm not going to go on to that. Well, um, another centipede fell. Uh, this time it fell in the uh, bathtub. Now, Gail and I have come a ways since then. Uh, we realize that there are certain bugs that we cannot have roaming the house uh, and still be peaceful. Gail and I are not at the point where either a black widow spider or one of those uh, very poisonous centipedes of a certain color, which can kill a baby or a young child, can roam around the house and we be peaceful. I'm just not at the point where I can do that. Some people are, but I'm not. And I know better now than to try to force myself into acting as if I'm at that point, but all the while there's this nagging something going on. So the centipede fell in the tub, and suddenly we realized, ah, two centipedes have come from the ceiling, although it had been uh, several years apart. <laughs> we have centipedes living in the ceiling. What should we do about this? Ah, we should get insecticides and spray it. Well, at that point, someone said, maybe we should meditate. <laughs> so we meditated, and I realized, we both realized that we were actually more afraid of the insecticides than we were of the centipede. Because they were going, the insecticides were going to cover everything if we did this properly. And so every time we gave the, the baby a bath or we touched the door handle of a door or anything else, there would be the thought of the insecticide. Now that, of course, is the first ego solution, to fight fear with fear. So what it wants, if it sees that you are going to take a step, it will suggest that the step be as fearful as the thing you are overcoming. So, for example, some people find it very fearful to get an adjustment. Some people don't. Some people have no problem with that. But the person who, say, having a back problem will put themselves in a situation where they're going to have a form of treatment that's going to be just as fearful as the uh, thing that they're overcoming, and so it will simply manifest itself in another way. And so you don't fight fear with fear, but you do take some simple direct action. Very simple, direct action. And that will begin lessening the problem, the emotion. And one of the things that you can do in almost all circumstances is to cut back until you're left with nothing but God as best you can. You cut back on your activities. You cut, cut back on your contact with other egos until you're left with nothing but God. Now, this can be very easily misunderstood. And the way it will be misunderstood is that someone here is going to translate what I'm about to say into behavior. And they're going to say, therefore, I must do this and therefore, I must do that. And of course, it means nothing. The less contact that you have with the world, the better. The less contact that you have with other egos, the better the less information you have about this world, 
the better. There is certain information that is very prized by the ego. And if you don't have that information, you will be looked down on, or you think you're going to be looked down on. And so, of course, you must watch the evening news. Although I can tell you what's going to be on the evening news. There will be a new disease. There will be a new magical cure. There will be something that's being equivocated in Washington. There will be some act of hostility. There will be some natural disaster. And so forth. You'll simply turn on the news uh, two years from now and you'll hear exactly the same thing. And the same thing will be true about the magazines you read and the newspapers and so forth. You are kidding yourself if you think you can take a political stand on a particular candidate and not get immersed in the world. Now, I told you that somebody's going to think I'm telling you not to talk about politics. Somebody is thinking that I'm telling you not to watch the news. All I'm saying is that if you... If you prize the information of the world, if you take in the information of the world, and if you take stands on things in the world, you drop into the world to some degree. It is impossible to avoid it. Even to be entertained by the world is to unite with it. You cannot be entertained by the world without uniting with the world. Now, what I have said has nothing to do with stop watching television or not prescribing uh, to newspapers or not going to movies or all that stuff. But if you will simply let this truth sit in your heart, that the less you partake of the world, the easier it is for you to walk home. And if you see that this has nothing to do with running from the world and being afraid of the world, and withdrawing from it in some, some fearful way and denouncing it, which is a very common mistake, has nothing to do with that. But if you can simply realize that the less of the world that there is in your life, the easier time you're going to have, then of course you will see that if you've had a setback, you want to draw back on the world. As best you can. You don't cancel something that's going to cause you a lot of fear. If, you, if you've got to go to the office and work, if it's going to be very fearful for you not to go to the office and work, then of course you go to the office and work. But you cut back and you cut back and you cut back until there's nothing left but God. And this is why there are people who awaken when they get a catastrophic illness. It's because they withdraw from the world so completely that they are left with nothing but God and they suddenly see that this world is a dream and that they wish to wake up. And they, in fact, accomplish within a few weeks or a few months, which many of us do not accomplish in a lifetime. You cannot set out to get terminally ill and do this. But it does happen that way. But you can begin seeing the principle and then feeling where to apply it and never telling anybody that they shouldn't do something. Because this just makes them feel guilty. This world, if you'll look at it right now, if you'll just look at this world, this world is a place of fear. 
Is there any question about that? This world is a place of fear. We are terrified of the foods we eat. We're terrified of driving down the street. We're terrified that we haven't put on the right clothes. We're terrified that we're going to say the wrong things to our friends. We're terrified of disasters. We're terrified of uh, nuclear warfare. We're terrified of, of uh, sound, of there being too much sound. We're terrified of chemicals in the rain. This world is a place of fear. If you are not afraid, you have escaped the world. It is that simple. Be not afraid. Be not afraid and you rise to God. This world, look around it now. This world is a place of unhappiness. Is there any question about that? People lonely. People saying, this is Saturday night, I don't have anyone. People saying, my children have grown up. They don't come to see me anymore. People saying, I don't have my good looks anymore. People saying, my dream didn't come true. My business didn't grow like I wished it would. People saying, my, my very spouse is a stranger. The great unhappinesses of, of whole nations. Is there any question that this world is a place of unhappiness? When you are happy, you have escaped the world. It is that simple. Be happy. Be happy. There is nothing more than that. This world is a place of agitation and change and chaos. Everything changing, nothing staying the same. People apologizing as, as, as the friend gets off the shuttle jack saying, I wish you could have seen Santa Fe a few years ago. It's just, just changed so much. Of course. Of course it has. It's going to. Everything changing. Friends don't even look the same. If you notice that, you see someone in a few years, you're surprised at how they look. Everything changing, changing, changing. Everything in a hurry. Agitation. Is there any question about that? The world is a place of agitation. When you are still, you escape the world. Be still. Be still and know your God. Be still and know heaven. Be still and know yourself. It is that simple.